everybody, it's Ian King, founder of King Sports International. Today, our special guest is Paul Briggs. So, Paul, I'm going to take you live. Paul, can you hear us? Yep, I can hear you, Ian. Fantastic. Appreciate Paul. I appreciate you being here. I, I, I always like to lead our guests do the bulk of their introductions because you always know your, your career path better than I do. But um, I'm just going to do a, a quick intro. So basically, Paul is one of those rare athletes who's been able to succeed in, in two disciplines. Um, and that's not, not the easiest thing to do in sport. It's tough enough being a champion in one, let alone to, to achieve greatness in two. So Paul, pretty keen to take it back to the start. Um, I believe you were born in New Zealand. Yeah, correct, in uh, Christchurch. But well, moved, to, moved to um, Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory when I was two wow. and um, spent my early early years there, sort of climbing trees and playing, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Absolutely. So when did you move to Brisbane? Moved to Brisbane, um, I think it was about age six and uh, basically grew up in Brisbane. I uh, did all my schooling in Brisbane and um, moved to the Gold Coast to pursue my boxing career at the age of uh, 23, nearly 24, yeah. Right. So I, I remember your father's gym. I, I met your father in the, in the probably mid-80s. You were probably about 10 years old. And I remember the gym started out as a bodybuilding gym. I don't know if you're young enough to remember. You, you're, I mean, you're old enough to remember before it turned into a kickboxing gym. I, I actually remember. I've got an amazing um, uh, KSI coach working out of my gym, uh, Ty Anderson, and um, he said, "I." Oh, he, he said he was speaking to you, Ian. He said, "Yeah, Ian said that he spoke to your father." And I was like, "Wow, the penny dropped." And I, I remember I was. Uh, I think I was 13, 12 or 13, and um, I remember just standing there and listening to this in, in incredible conversation. It went way over my head at the time, and and um, but it was um, little bits that I picked up was just phenomenal around uh, my my father's knowledge of bodybuilding and building muscle, obviously, and then you know obviously your knowledge as well, Ian. So I had actually met you many, 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 many years ago, sort of informally. Yeah, absolutely. So when you grew up in that environment, it was, it was always going to turn out well as far as the, the fighting goes. Because I remember back um, back about the mid mid eighties in in Queensland, at least here in Australia, kickboxing in, in the in the early stages just started off. And I'm not talking about the the Muay Thai version. I'm just talking about kickboxing. Um, again, I don't know whether you'd be old enough to at the at the time to remember, but um, you know the Zendu Kai people yep. had were running um, the 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 original form of kickboxing. Um, so yeah, that uh, and then and then the uh, Muay Thai came over and that that really took it over. So you probably got immersed in that pretty early on in your age. Really early. Um, I was exposed to it, obviously, you know, through um, my 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 father's example and. Um, Grew up around the gym, watching the the a lot of the Zendu Kai guys come in, and and this is when it was sport karate, and um or what they call kickboxing. You know, they wore the the, the pads on their feet and all the rest of it. And um, I was actually 
present at the first ever Muay Thai fight in Queensland. It was fought at um, a, it was fought in a nightclub, and I remember watching it, just going, "Wow, this is incredible." Um, my first experience of of combat sports was was at the age of four uh, at the I, I basically sat at one corner uh, of a makeshift ring um, in Arnhem Land in Northern Territory and my father was actually refereeing so um, that was my first experience of, of combat sport watching this tent fight and I, I had no idea what I was looking at but I just knew straight away this was me this is what I want to do and I want to be the best at it. It's amazing how those images as young as young children can really shape our future so you were you were destined in, from from that early exposure. So what um, you, you saw the first fight, and then how long before you started competing in in, in uh, Muay Thai yourself? Um, <clears throat> I had my first uh, Muay Thai fight, and I think I was sixteen years old, fifteen years old, fifteen, and um, I fought a twenty-one-year-old gentleman, and um, I beat him. Um, just, <laughs> like I just, I didn't even feel like I won the fight, but they gave it to me, so it was that was great. Um, and I sort of went on uh, from there and just went from strength to strength, and uh, ended up going to uh, Thailand with my my mum and dad um, when I think I was fifteen, and uh, actually with Bob Jones at that time as well. And um, when I was in Thailand, I was I, I just fell in love with the sport. I fell in love with the place, and just to backtrack a little bit, my first love was boxing. I always wanted to box, and um, you know I used to have like, the Ring magazine posters all just plastered all over my wall uh, in my bedroom, and I wanted to fight on a big fight show in America and I wanted to fight on HBO and, and you know, this was the fantasy in my mind sort of thing and I wanted to fight for the green belt, which was the WBC belt and, um, you know, but this was never going to be a reality because uh, I was, uh, I'm a twin, so I was born with a sparring partner and um, my mother just was adamant that her sons were never going to box. So when we chose to get kicked, elbowed, knee. And, and then punched, and my mother sort of agreed to that. I didn't quite see the <laughs> the logic in that, but I, I understood where she was coming from. She didn't like the head damage, you know, so um, didn't want to see her her sons end up um, uh, brain fried, I suppose. Yeah, my mother's fear. So you fought um, your first world title in uh, Muay Thai was at what age? 19 years old, I fought Winston Walker from the UK. He was 32. He was a dominant uh, world champion. He'd been world champion for about six years, seven years, and um, quite a big name in the sport. And when what's interesting is the fight, I fought a world title eliminator to get in the position to actually fight him for the championship. And that eliminator, I fought a very heavy punching uh, Dutchman by the name of Andre Matthews. And um, the, my, my Japanese promoters were really concerned that, that I could handle it at that age. I was only 18. And um, <clears throat> I didn't really have a concept of fear yet. Uh, I was really just operating from instinct and doing what I, what, what I did. And, and I suppose at that point, um, healthy ego, you could say. You know, I, I thought I was the ants pants and... and um, 
didn't really have a concept of, of even being aware of, of ego or anything like that. So, um, you know, I got in, knocked Andre out in uh, the second round, I think. I dropped in twice in the first round, knocked him out cold in the second. Then they were, from there, I fought Winston um, at age 19, and, and it was a real lacklustre fight. It was just... He was just surviving, and when I spoke to him afterwards, he said I wasn't going to be another knockout on Paul Briggs' record, and that was <laughs> it was quite deflating to hear because what I was wanting was you know the 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 Rocky movie, I suppose, for a world title fight. Yes, he's obviously had some respect for you. Uh, yeah, I think um, it wasn't really held to respect. It was just built in fear, and considering where he had been and who he had defeated, it didn't make sense to me. But there was one gentleman that I had um, knocked out in the first round. You know, he was a superstar in Japan. His name was Taikin, and um, this is what this is one of those fights that I mean. There's many different fights throughout my 109 fights, pro fights that I had through both genre fighting genres that really spawned the passion for me around the mind and how the mind drives the body and the way athletes create um, their successes or their failures through the, their thought processes and the way that they see themselves or value what they do. And um, through this experience, I, I had no idea who Taikin was. He was just another guy they were putting in front of me. And I, I knocked him out in the first round in Melbourne in a, on a massive promotion down there, Stan Longanides was fighting Masato uh, Sataki and a massive uh, Japanese superstar. And they brought Taikin out and they basically threw me and this young up and coming kid just, to, you know, as a cannon fighter. And I ended up knocking him out in the first round. And that actually got me a promotional contract in Japan. Um, only after that fight did I realize who he was and, and just. <laughs> who it was that I actually was standing in front of. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't really want to fight him again. But um, it, it was it, it was a bit of a godsend because he didn't want to fight me either. So, um, but, yeah, that, that sort of pushed me on to, you know, get that, that contract to Japan. And then through that, I got to um, be exposed to uh, international fighting and um, international training and just... I had an experience of being able to learn how other people do what they do with regards to training for fights. And I suppose spending time training in Thailand and training in Japan and training through these Asian countries and then going, you know, through my boxing career, going you know, to the United States um, and spending a lot of time through Europe and that sort of thing. The conclusion I've come to um, within the fight industry is that, is that we're just doing it wrong. We're doing it all wrong. We're overtraining. Uh, we have this incessant need because we're driven. Because in this industry, fighters are driven by fear, right? So mm -hmm. that fear causes them to overreach with regards to their training. So I see it time and time again where I'm watching guys come in to the last week of their prep and they are absolutely spent. And I've actually experienced this myself. You know, I, the biggest fight of my my life uh, against um, uh, the Polish uh, uh, warlord Thomas. that went on. Yeah, Thomas Adamek. He went on to become a three division world champ. You know, and we we had two 12 round wars when they're in the um, 
in the um, they, they got fired the year in in two thousand five and two thousand seven. Yep. So um, uh, with Ring magazine and and they, it, it, they were just wars. But what what I what I came to understand was that um, you know coming into those fights a week out from the fight, I was wrecked. I was absolutely spent. You know, I wasn't bouncing out of my skin. I was I was I was just smashed and. Through all my experience with with the overtraining in Muay Thai, and then getting to the elite level, training at high altitude for a fight that was actually being fought at normal altitude. <laughs> so, and you know, I'm training at Big Bear in in the mountains of California, to then fly to Chicago, and by the time I got to Chicago, I'm flat. Mm. So I was sort of looking at this, going, "Well, what's the point of training? Why have we spent?" couple of months training at altitude to, to now fly to Chicago and I'm, and I'm absolutely flat. What this told me was that no one knows what they're doing within the fight game. Everyone's overtraining. Everyone, because they're driven by fear, they're pushing their bodies to the limit, which is great. But what, even just in the, the, the learning that I've, that, that I've come to and, and in the last three weeks, simply by starting um, within your your system and learning that now I have all this incredible material which backs up uh, everything that I've thought to be true anyway, but really question myself. And a lot of what I've said in the fight game has been dismissed and has, has been, you know, been sort of seen as a, a bit of a maverick and, and not really knowing what I'm talking about, even though I've got 30 years' experience in the sport, simply because I'm going against the, the, the um, status quo. And um, it's, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's frustrating, I just find it really interesting to, to watch um, people argue with you and then go and keep doing what they're doing and fighters coming into fights not at their peak and it's just it's incredible you know well it looks like you're discovering some wisdom which we're going to talk a little bit more about and i agree with you in 2005 flight you weren't bouncing you were very flat on your feet um and you know with the workload you went under altitude etc it's something i've been um dealing with for many decades now and, and there's a lot of factors to contribute to that as you as we've talked about in in, in uh, our exchanges Human emotion of fear is, is, is one of the greatest wreckers of human decisions in training. Um, the inability to control the emotion of fear. Uh, another contributor to, to the fight game is the, the Japanese influence. If you understand how the Japanese train, which obviously you know, you've trained in Japan, I don't need to tell you the Japanese psychology of, of physical training. Um, it is interesting. So there's a, there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, the odds are stacked in, in the way of the high volume approach, but um, yeah, you don't need to do it, and the best way to do the talking is on the scoreboard, is is my saying. So, um, pretty confident that it'll come together. And you know, the the irony of, of of training innovation and training breakthroughs is even then, with results, you don't you don't even again expect um, the masses to follow. I'll give you an example. Tom Brady published a book recently. Tom Brady's, I think, it's a, uh, statistically the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. And yep. in his book, he said, I hope this, I hope my information starts a movement. And I, the minute I, I read that line, I, I felt like saying, Tom, sorry, it's not going to start a movement because, you know, what you're doing is really smart and what you're doing is contributed to you being great and being able to play for so many years. But 
you don't expect too much from the, the from average people um which you know on the flip side makes it good in in this regard because then it's easier to dominate in sport like winning in sports pretty easy because the masses think like the masses and, and, and you know, my goal is not necessarily to, to change the masses but to just to confirm concepts um th through the reality of the scoreboard and put them out there if people want them and um, in realities very few people take them on um i could you know the frustration your experience i've been through for decades and it's uh and then 20 years later you'll the, the world will flip and you'll think well you know you could have done that 20 years ago but when they'll flip they'll overreact anyway uh, so you, you're just gonna have to enjoy your success um and continue to demonstrate up to for me the, the great re reward is giving people opportunity to be great because to be able to to push yourself in training that's qualification to be selected in a special forces outfit it's not a qualification for success in sport um they're two different things but i digress so two world champions in in muay thai i believe two two time world champion yes and, and then, um yep well, from there, I, I um, what was interesting was I, I reached the pinnacle, and because of the lack of understanding I had around my own maturity then, and and um, you know, uh, setting goals, working towards goals, and achieving goals, um, my lack of uh, experience around that, um, I, I placed so much on becoming champ and what that would actually mean. I created this false reality in my own mind around what that would actually mean for me. When I got there, when I arrived, it, it completely collapsed uh, everything within me, which happens with a lot of champions I've learned. Um, I went on to do it again, and and um, but I just didn't – I wasn't getting out of it what I was wanting to get out of it. Um, and what I realised was I'm not doing what I absolutely am passionate about, and what I'm passionate about is boxing. Um, so that's where I sort of, uh, after a little hiatus for a, uh, a couple of years, I, I gave it another crack. I was still a young man. I was 24 years old in the fight game. They're still kind of young. And um, <clears throat> with the experience that I had, the foundation that I already had within my ability to do what I did um, and my understanding, then uh, I could really fast track things. So. Um, I turned pro as a boxer. Uh, I have my first fight around uh, 99, the end of uh, 1999. And then by 2001, I was fighting in the United States on the undercard of a Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao double main event in, um, in uh, San Francisco. And being exposed again to some uh, incredible training, incredible sparring. Um, incredible learnings and understandings around overtraining and the fact that, hang on a second, boxers do it too. Like um, everyone's overtraining and why is this? And, and what I now know is that in boxing, and I imagine this is the same in, in many other sports, in many other aspects of life even, most trainers have been taught by somebody who has not mastered their craft who was taught by someone who had not mastered their craft, who was taught by someone on and on and on. Mm. So therefore, they have not had the, they have not acquired the applied knowledge to be able to pass on through their experiences to their, their charges. And so therefore, it's kind of the blind leading the blind.
and within that, the overtraining just just carries on, and and everybody backs everyone else up because there's there's the ego in it. You know, everyone's everyone's feeling supported because everyone's doing the same thing. But yet, I'm looking at it just going, no, nah, it's wrong. And it's interesting because just last night, I'm 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 in the back end of of a training camp right now with one of my fighters who's getting ready for a title fight in two and a half weeks. Just last night, we had a conversation where um, at the beginning of the week he was coming into the gym and I'm looking at his body and, and I, to some degree I know bodies, you know, especially from a fighting perspective when they walk in the gym. And I'm looking at him thinking, man, why is this guy tired? I don't understand. It's the beginning of the week. I know we're, we're not even at the end of the prep yet, but the workload that I'm giving him, I don't understand why he's walking in the gym so tired, you know, and, and in a conversation that we had, I learned that out of his own fear, he's doing so much extra stuff outside of what I'm already giving him. Mm. And it's it's crazy. I, I said to him, mate, you're tired. As now we're starting to make mistakes. And, and at his age, he's an older gentleman um, coming to the, to the you know, the, the back ends of, of his career. And I said to him, this, this is less is more at your age, you know, and I said, unless you do what I tell you to do, we're going to lose this fight. We drew, this is a rematch we're getting ready for. We drew the last one and it was a fight that he could have knocked the guy out. And, but now I understand why, you know, because his fear was pushing him to do more, more, more. And, and that ends up producing less, less, less. In the last two days alone of him just simply listening and following what I'm saying, Last night he came into the gym, sort of bounced into the gym, and I'm just like, wow, look at you. And he said, you know what, I feel good. We had an incredible session. At the end of the session, he's looking at me going, what a difference from the beginning of the week. And I said, mate, can you understand now what I'm getting at? Can you understand what the physical preparation coach times and in my gym is telling you? Less is more, less is more. We're both speaking in the same voice. You get, you've got two coaches here. Who care? Who are who are giving you the right guidance? And yet, you know, your fear is pushing you to do more. He goes, "No, I understand now. I understand." He said, "I'm going to listen. Do what I'm do what I'm told." You know, so it, that that was great, great for him, especially considering we've got you know three weeks to go, so we've got enough time to turn it around. Absolutely, and it's very important for you as a coach to to test your methods. You you have to control the variables, and that's one of the one of the beauties of individual sport versus team sport but still is a challenge that you need to know all the things they're doing. And ultimately you'll get to a point where you'll tell them if you do anything outside what you and I agree to it being you and the boxer agree to, or the fighter agree to, then, then this isn't going to move forward because it's really tough to test your methods when there's a variables that you're unaware of. And it's very, very tough to get, to get the results if they're messing with the recipe, so to speak. And it's not a dogmatic approach. It's not an authoritarian approach. It's still a, it's still a collaborative decision between between athlete and coach, but you can't afford to have uh, third-party influence. Um, and that's that, that's a great thing about it, uh, individual sport. Uh, and, and in true individual sport, I'm not talking about swimming where it's an individual sport done in a squad and, and, they, and they don't always get their own way. But, you know, you know, boxing, like many sports, you control your camp, so to speak. Completely, and the, the the results are in real time. Like, if you're doing a thing, you're going to know whether it's working or not, and usually you'll know pain will be your teacher. And um, 
you know, that's that's not always a, a very advantageous within life, you know, to allow pain to be a teacher all the time. It's, it's sometimes a, a little bit more productive to actually listen um, and, and to be able to move forward, you know, from that perspective. So I think through where I had been, and look, I, I don't, it, it's interesting, I don't even see myself as a, as a, um, I see myself as a success in what I did, definitely. But then, you know, you look at guys who they 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 get to the top and they reign for a long time. You know, for me, that's the ultimate success. You know, but mm -hmm. then in saying that, at my age now, forty three, um, I'm turning forty four next year, and with a little bit of wisdom, I come to understand that. I've been where I've been. I've dipped my toe in the water of, of being at the top. So now I know how to actually take men there. And I've got all this knowledge and a wealth of knowledge there, but languaging it now is is um, is the the challenge, I suppose. And and um, this is why I'm really excited, you know, to be able to start, start with KSI and, and begin with you guys. As well, well I like so. your like your focus because I, I brought a saying that becoming a champion is easy, staying a champion is, is a challenge. And for me, whilst it's great to be a champion, and no one's ever going to take that away from a person, um, it's for me it's it's unfulfilling when you know the potential is greater. So for me, an Olympian, three-time Olympian minimum is my expectation, preferably five, and there's no difference. And I'll give a uh, give a quick insight in even in uh, example within Australia this lack of ability to maintain greatness. I think it's been something like 15 years in the NRL, which is, for those listening from overseas, is our, it's our professional national um, rugby competition, rugby league competition. There hasn't been a back-to-back -back winner for you know, 10 to 15 years, and that's just, just unnecessary. You know, the inability to, to, to dominate two years in a row, um, that, that's just a low expectation. So, yeah, I think you're, you're moving in a great direction as far as your expectations. So before we get into training a bit further, I uh, just wanted to touch upon um, the, the, the Cairns event. I, I, was, I was very impressed with your results back there in, in Cairns. I think it was the late 90s. Um, it was it was in the early days, shall we say. Yeah. Do you remember that event? Yeah, yeah, it was a um, it was a, a tough man contest. I fought three times in that night. I think I was 16 or 17. And, mm -hmm. and every, every gentleman that I fought was, um, I think the youngest one I fought was 25. And um, I knocked them all out, I think. Yeah. That was a no, great result for one man. Yeah, it was good. Back in, back in an earlier day of um, way before the, the, uh, the octagon was invented, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So boxing in America, um, you learnt that, well, I probably should put words in your mouth, but you probably learnt that whilst there's a hell of a lot of money in sport in America, um, their approach to training is uh, not consistent with, with the greatness you'd expect or, or, or not consistent with the amount of money that's floating there. Wow, that's that's phenomenal that you say that because that's exactly my experience. You know, you develop all these ideas, obviously, you know, we're human beings, um, from what you see on TV and, the, and what you hear and all the rest of it, and you develop this this picture in your mind of what training is going to be like and I'm going to get over there. And I was... I, was, I did a lot of training at Mount Sac uh, University and and um, uh, a lot of running uh, training and that sort of thing for for boxing, which is an interesting concept in and of itself. Um, 
And, you know, I, I had some amazing conversations with one of the gridiron coaches out there and it was, um, it was quite phenomenal because I, I think we both realised we both had a real passion for the actual training side of things. I think at that point I, I knew that I loved the training side of it and, and um, being able to teach uh, the different concepts, but I still didn't quite have that solidified in my mind because I was, I was, I was being the athlete at the time. And, um, but it was amazing just getting over there and, you know, experiencing your jaw hitting the ground when you realise these yanks don't know what they're doing just like we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> exactly. Like a chapter out of a book. Exactly. It's an eye-opener if, you, if, you're, if you're humble enough um, and, and courageous enough to acknowledge that most people, I suspect, think, you know, America's great, 300 million-plus people, Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. They must know what they're doing. They see it, and then they, and I think they put their head in the sand and, and just assume, yeah, this is great, this is great. When you and I know that if you're going to call a spade a spade, um, when it comes to training, it's it's stunning how ordinary, um, how uh, underwhelming, how disappointing compared to, you know, the money and, and, and the, the grandeur of sport. So, yeah, I'm, you, you've had a good experience because American trends lead the world. Everyone wants to be American. I understand the greatness of their lifestyle. You know, if, you, if you're living in a tin, tin shack somewhere and eating your food off the dirt and wondering where your next meal is going to come from, you, you look at America and say, I, I want to live in the land of opportunity. But um, without, without, without uh, pulling back from, from the culture or the, the civilization they've grown, uh, which is to their credit, their training knowledge is... Is as diabolically bad as anywhere in the world, and yet you know everyone wants to be American. Everyone wants to copy it, which is um, it makes it hard to to get across uh, more effective training methods. To put it politely, one hundred percent, I agree. And and the interesting thing with boxing now is um, the Ukraine and you know the the Northern Europeans are, are really starting to to dominate now, and some of the training concepts that uh, a lot of their specialists uh, are bringing over creates a real marriage and a real connection between the mind and the body, especially within boxing. So what the reason why boxing is such an incredible sport is because uh, it's interesting. There's a study down on the, uh, on the Gold Coast when the universities here in 2000 or 2001, and they got me in there as one of the athletes, and they had – um, a triathlete that had an, a, a, an extreme marathon runner, one of those 100K marathon runners and, um, you know, one of those huge cyclists, you know, like the Tour de France type guys and all the rest of it. And what they were testing was pain thresholds. And um, I thought, wow, this is going to be incredible just being in the same room with some of these athletes. I blew every single one of them out of the water and much to my surprise and, and theirs as well. And I think it was the extreme marathon runner who was um, saying to me, I don't get it. Why, why is your pain threshold so high? And I said, well, the only thing I can put it down to, buddy, is the fact that imagine doing what you do and at the same time someone's driving beside you in a car smashing you with a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. When a boxer is taking hits, his whole endocrine system is trying to shut his body down. So he's no longer just fighting the man in front of him. He's also fighting his own system to mm-hmm. just keep functioning. So I, I, what I know, 
with regards to boxing being such a, a, a tough sport is the fact that we have to do what we do around fatigue, around endurance, around um, uh, focus and attention whilst we sustain damage. Not too sure on, on, on any other sport besides maybe a football or, or something like that where um, or even with football, there's not that consistent, concerted uh, um, um, application of damage to the other individual. So I think um, what I'm really passionate about now and what's really brought me into the whole, the whole idea of understanding the mind is exactly that. Because when a fighter, there's a lot of, a lot of training that we do within boxing, which is not correct. Yet, it's actually necessary to build what I call um, uh, the, the psychological aptitude or the, the, the mental toughness. Um, when you go to get to a point within pain thresholds and you develop knowledge, i.e. I've been there, I've done that, I've pushed my body to this extent, when my mind was about to break and now I knew I could keep going, I can tell you for a fact because I've been there. When you get to round eight in a round in a twelve round elite boxing fight, when the mind stops working, you're basically working off instinct, and all the programming that you've basically uh, uh, taken on over the last you know eight to ten weeks in camp, and everything else within your body is is trying to shut itself down to, to prevent further damage. That what is it within the mind that keeps pushing through? What is it within the, the individual that makes one individual stand out from another? These are the questions that, that I'm always asking, you know, and, and how can we, within boxing, within fighting sports, train differently but still cultivate that psychological uh, uh, toughness, I'll call it. Um, this is sort of... Uh, what would, what would you say? This is this is my uh, my quest, I suppose, is to, to find these answers in um, finding the balance because everything that I do right now within my gym is is basically teaching balance, balance within the mind, balance within the stance, balance within the diet, balance within the thinking, um, where we can find that balance between cultivating and developing that psychological strength and psychological toughness and the ability to endure and keep going. But at the same time, get the maximum potential out of the body rather than actually, you know, the body sacrificing itself for the psychological toughness, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So there's a few things I'll share with you on that one. Uh, there was um, a recent article I read recently where it acknowledged the role of, the, of psychology in, in pain threshold and training load. In, in other words, um, individuals are different because of their psychology in, in different in training, and that it's a, it's your tolerance to to discomfort that determines your work capacity, rather than uh, a more pre-prescribed uh, black and white theory of how much a person can do. Uh, and that's a double-edged sword because. A person with a higher pain threshold is more likely to, to has the capacity to push himself harder in training and actually cause more fatigue and more damage. 
um, in, in long term. Um, so basically, for me, many of the toughest athletes that I've ever seen from a mental toughness point of view struggle to walk in, in later in life because they push themselves so much as young athletes. Um, the, sec the second point I'll make is your search for the understanding of willpower. Uh, you, you will have some very interesting allies, uh, some, some interesting places you'll find that because these are the same questions that are asked uh, by, and I'm trying to remember the name, someone during um, the intern camps in, in the World War II prisoner of war camps, especially the, the Jewish ones. Uh, that question was raised, and then Stockdale in Vietnam also raised that question. Um, he was the highest ranking US military or US Air Force fighter in, in, in detention in, in a prisoner of war camp in Vietnam. Um, and he studied that, that question as well. So there's, you know, and, and this is what I've been alluding to in our, in our dialogue recently that um, there are many non physical ways to change willpower. And work capacity, but that's a you know that's a bigger discussion. I don't want to uh, steal from our discussion today, but I thought I'd just throw a few things out there. Uh, there's some I definitely like to explore at, at, at a deeper level. But from um, from the training perspective, I think that we're definitely in agreement and and uh, around the fact that most of the world is is overtraining. And I, what, what I love about your approach, Ian, is, is um, and, and this is very much what I've picked up from um, the physical prep coach here, Ty Anderson, is, is um, let's do a thing and come to your own conclusions, you know, on, on whether or not it works for you. And then do it for long enough to be able to build the, the, the data within your own understanding to know wholeheartedly to know that it works or it doesn't work rather than taking everybody else's word for it which is really more of you know the blind leading the blind kind of thing absolutely i'll, I'll give you an example I, I i did a post recently where i said after 20 years of reflection i've come to the following conclusions about kettlebells and uh, you know explaining that then then the response in part for the most part was where's the evidence what what people want is that somebody in a journal to somewhere to say something that, that x equals y well i can go to a journal and i can get i can get that outcome created x equals y but i'm not interested in that i'm interested in what did you do how long did you do for what degree of objectivity have you measured for what's the results you get and that's all that matters so it's it's the, the definition of evidence that people operate differently on and the, the, for me um winning in sport is so easy because so few people are, are willing to be a if they were willing to apply the same objectivity that science uh, talks about but doesn't always execute because the fact that someone put pen to paper is irrelevant to me i want to know what it did in your body because uh, we're all different so you will enjoy the journey uh, moving forward and, and before we get in deep i just want to let everyone on the call we've got quite a few people on the call today and my approach to interaction is that this is a great opportunity for you to ask questions uh, of an athlete who's been on a great journey and their journey obviously is continuing as a coach but uh, I'd like you to take advantage of that opportunity you bet you're here on the call today so it's a matter as simple as putting your hand up electronically speaking so somewhere on your on your control panel we'll see uh, a button that can put your hand up um, and if for whatever reason you can't work out how to do that um, send me a Facebook message I'll open up that as well um, and say you've got a question because I am looking for your electronic button challenges and not know how to find that button 
So I just wanted to get that message across. We're looking forward to looking to any questions that you might have and putting Paul's at your disposal to answer those questions. So Paul, talk about your your, your business, your gym now. What, what, what's, share it with us. My gym is uh, in beautiful Burley Heads on the Gold Coast in Queensland. And um, it's called Sanctum Forge Boxing. Sanctum is obviously, um, uh, you know, a, a peaceful, peaceful place of balance. Um, the forge were basically the ovens that the um, the Spartans uh, forged their swords in. So it's really um, my gym is is really about uh, being a, a place of balance where warriors are created. And um, what I teach out of here is is um, threefold. It's it's around the technical, it's around the psychological, and it's also dietary. Um, all of my fighters uh, uh, have to adhere to a fairly strict um, uh, regime of of you know basically thirty percent meat, seventy percent plant, um, and and it's what we don't eat. It's uh, you know all the sugars, the the um, the glutens, the the, the dairy. Um, nuts, seeds, uh, all, all this kind of stuff. So it's um, bringing things right back to the primal sort of uh, understanding of what's always fueled a warrior and um, what my fighters are, are, are coming to understand now is that their minds get clearer. As soon as the stomach clears, the mind clears and their, their ability to be able to process information is heightened. Uh, their ability to be able to respond rather than react is uh, uh, becomes exponential, um, so that's really what the gym is about. Also, train you know corporates to train kids, all the rest of it. So, um, and you know, with, with uh, Ty Anderson that I've got in here as well, he's kind of the glue that puts them all back together. So, we've got um, we've got him in here doing uh, the the physical prep uh, and, and basically balancing the bodies. You know, obviously with every um, there is a reaction so whatever whatever we're doing in the gym that has to be balanced you know within the body so that that's sort of where Ty comes in and and um, you you know we have stretching classes on Saturday morning we and and we're, I'm really wanting to promote this bigger than anything because for me the number one quality in this gym is um, First and foremost, above everything else, is is flexibility, because if the if the muscle isn't flexible, it's not going to be strong. So I just think that um, the the greater the the culture around stretching, um, and then and then learning how to stretch correctly too, which is where Ty comes in and he's been incredible. You know, within the like really uh, informing people on how to stretch correctly and how to how to be more gentle, you know, with their bodies because their bo our bodies are serving us incredibly, you know, especially, you know, from a, a fighter's perspective. So to be gentle with your body to, to, to give back to it a little bit is uh, is pretty cool. Love your the direction, the conceptual basis you're operating on. There's a few things there that I, I think we can refine, but you've got some great, great concepts and pretty, uh, for, for a boxing gym, pretty astute. To say the least, I mean that's really astute compared to um, the majority. Of them. So very encouraging uh, moving forward into the new age. Paul, very impressed, very impressed. We're going to take a question from uh, Victor. Victor's first cap off the rank. Go ahead, Victor. You're live. Hi, Paul. Much hey, thanks for taking time out. 
so I can yeah, really. So, uh, no, uh, much thanks for taking time out to have a chat with us. Right, so awesome. my biggest question would be, um, if you have entire control over the entire training process, or even like how the how the boxers, how the athletes uh, live their life and train, like what would a typical week look like uh, in training for them? Say if they are not if they are not pre- prepping for a fight camp yet. No, they are. They don't have a fight schedule. How would you do the uh, out of season, out of season training week, so to say? Um, what that would look like for me would be simply working on identifying the imbalances within their body that have been caused from the previous camps or fights that have been done. Trying to rebalance that or, or build muscle where there lacks muscle or build um, more balance where there lacks balance within their, their body. And look, what, what I now know to be true is what creates imbalance within the body first starts within the mind. So there's also a psychological aspect to this. So if there's an imbalance within their body that needs to be uh, worked through, there's also an imbalance within the thinking that needs to be worked through as well. Otherwise, you're just going to see that imbalance again. Um, so, yeah, it's more in, in – I think what I'm picking up from what you're saying is what's their downtime like. And I think um, for my fighters, it's more about um, honouring their body, giving back to their body because their body is giving to them as much as it possibly can for, for you know, to then be able to serve them again in the next camp and the next fight. I, I'm really big on um, – I'm really big on getting together after fights, straight after fights, where, where a lot of – see, when you're in camp with a fighter and you're spending a lot of time in each other's pocket, the last thing you want to do after a fight is catch up again, you know, for a good week, you want to break. But I think what's incredible is, uh, in my experience, is to connect straight away the next morning after a fight, have a, a, a what I call a decompression time where we can just have a look at what they learn, what they now know, what they feel they could do more of, what they feel they could do less of, what they feel really served them in this camp and what they feel didn't. From that, we can have an open discussion as a team and then they can go away, they can have their downtime, they can, um, you know, relax, recoup. When they come back, they've got those seeds in their mind already that over that week they kind of gestate, you know, those new understandings gestate and uh, then there's more conversations that can be had when they come back and we start, you know, looking at prepping for the, for the next time. But as far as their bodies are concerned, it's, it's more, you know, in their downtime, it's more, like I said, about uh, working on their flexibility and then working, working on uh, whatever imbalances have been created in, in previous camps. Thank you so much. That's an amazing response. I appreciate the question. Actually, as I can see, Victor from Singapore, and we've got a number of uh, other countries represented on the call today. So if there are any other questions, certainly feel free to interrupt. So, Paul, transitioning from athlete to coach, how's it been? Been easy? 
it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Transitioning from athlete to normal life is one of the most challenging things I've ever had to do. It was absolutely incredible. You know, it really broke me down and destroyed me to my absolute core because I, I wasn't a warrior anymore. And, you know, I, I was forced to retire because of health reasons. You know, my nervous system had just been pummeled way too much, you know, over 109 fights. And, and the amount of time I had been fighting, especially from such an early, early age whilst I was still developing. Um, luckily, the body itself was um, held up really, really well, considering. Um, but my nervous system and, um, you know, the hemorrhages that I had had uh, in, in boxing fights, uh, brain hemorrhages and those sorts of things, um, I still... Uh, experienced some effects from that, though I, I manage them really, really well because of the lifestyle that I live now. It's often people don't appreciate the challenge for athletes, especially long-term training, especially more successful, the harder it is to transition to being uh, yesterday's newspaper. Again, there's a huge aspect of this is built around the ego, around, around how we identify with who we are and, and, and who we say we are. You know, one of the biggest me, I, I prided myself on being a hard man. I prided myself on my uh, ability to take punishment. I, I prided, prided myself on my ability to dish out punishment. I can't train hard anymore. You know, if I if I train really really hard, the wheels fall off. You know, my nervous system just bottoms out, and I'm I'm basically you know got a, a train wreck for a few months until I rebalance again. So. For me now, it's about moderation and it's about um, really nurturing, um, which is great because I'm learning and understanding a new way of training that, that is actually, now that I'm actually saying it, the pennies are dropping in my mind, which actually leads into the whole concept of less is more, um, which is exactly what I, the conversation I had with one of my fighters just yesterday. You know, like you can say to someone, to an athlete, less is more, but what does that mean? You know, when they're trying to go faster, push stronger, jump higher, um, run longer, it, how do you tell them less is more? You know, um, how do you explain to them that that they're going to get more benefit out of their body um, through honouring it rather than um, destroying it? But yet, as, as athletes, that's that's kind of what we want to do. We want we we want to destroy ourselves and become a new athlete in 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 each moment um in each training session you know we destroy ourselves become a new uh, a new athlete in the next session and yet post my career and and becoming a coach now um as hard as that transition has been it's also been a very beautiful one you know i'm i'm, I'm loving uh the man that i'm becoming i'm loving the coach that i'm becoming i'm loving how much i'm actually slowing down I'm loving how much I'm listening now, not just to my own body, but um, to the athletes that I'm working with. It's an incredible skill that, uh, you know, really learning how to listen. And I think when you learn how to listen to yourself, that's the beginning. That, that then you can take into you know, being able to listen to other people. Absolutely. So you'll, you'll enjoy my work, but uh, that rings to one of the things I have, which is um, it's not about what's capable, it's about what's optimal. And so when you get a bit older, you realise what you're doing is not optimal, but it raised the question is what we did when we were younger, what people are doing because they can. Does that, because they can, does that 
mean it's optimal? I, I don't think so. Well, is, isn't that the same in life? There's many things we can do because we can, but half of them will destroy us. You know, Absolutely. Uh, there's lots that I've done in my life because I could, and it, yeah. it nearly destroyed me. You know? Yeah, and then and the second level of discussion I go to with with humans or athletes is, um, you know, not so much athletes working with me, but coaches I'm seeking to educate, they'll say, but, you know, it's effective. And, and I can say, I'm not interested whether it's effective. I, I want to know on, on, on the sequence of optimal, what's more optimal, because I can hit myself on a hammer on the head and that can fire me up to achieve, you know, it can newly arouse me. But is it is it the best thing to do to hit myself on the head with a hammer? Probably not. Um, you know, is there better things to do to arouse me? Probably is. So, you know, the whole discussion of effective is of, of little interest to me as well. I don't care whether it's effective. I want to know, is it the best thing that we can do for ourselves today? I think the, the, the greatest question that I tend to ask myself now with anything is, is this sustainable? Because mm -hmm. you might be doing something that's effective. It might be incredibly effective, but it's not going to be sustainable at all. And and the, the adverse effect of that is actually going to destroy what you're trying to create. So that is is not productive in any way, shape or form. You know, I, I think that Again, all of it just comes down to to balance. You know, you, you can you can do a thing and get a result. Then can you repeat that and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and refine it and repeat it and refine it and repeat it? Because if you can do a thing and get a result, but you can't repeat it, what's the point? It's another great athlete who, who comes to mind in this discussion is a young man who, similar to yourself, had a fairly strong self belief and incredible work ethic, willpower. Um, and, and and ultimately did end up at five Olympics, but the last three he was operating on um, basically uh, just surviving, and the results also reflected it because uh, I feel he, he didn't take on board the lesson that I was seeking to get across when he was 18 in the lead-up, or actually at 17 in the lead-up to the 92 Olympics, um, that what he was doing, you know, he, he was getting results with it then, but how's this going to go moving forwards? And... And he spent the last few of his Olympics battling, you know, chronic fatigue, et cetera, et cetera, and not really understanding why. And it was a great example of what I talked about earlier where an athlete with an incredible ability to push themselves is, 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 can sometimes be a double-edged sword and be protected from themselves. But in his case, there were stronger influences on him to continue down that path. And can I only ask the question, um, most successful athlete in his, in his genre at the Olympics from Australia to date, but how could could it have been? Um, and it's an academic question, but believe me, I know other athletes who, who had to haunt them for the rest of their life. How how could how could how good could it have been had I? And I just went a little bit smarter about it. I'm not suggesting you operate with regret, but I I, I tell you now, I have athletes communicate with me for many years after they retire um, with that question, especially um, you know the wisdom that you get with age. I, look, I definitely did. I got to the end of my career and I saw my career as an absolute hands-down failure, which is just madness. It's absolute insanity. You know, I had 109 fights, 97 of them I won, two of them I drew, 10 of them I lost. It's not bad. You know, 56 of them I, uh, were, were knockouts. And, you know, I, I've fought all over the world. I, I fought um, and, and trained with some incredible trainers. And the more I sort of got over myself and over 
the ideas that that and I okay I'll put it to you like this as soon as I got past belief and started stepping into knowledge everything changed as soon as I stepped out of what I believe was true which is a fantasy in my own mind and I stepped into what I knew was reality everything changed and what I knew was the fact that I had been where I had been what I also knew was the fact that what I had done in being where I had been was not a hundred percent productive. What I also knew to be true was if it wasn't a hundred percent productive, then there must be a better way. So therefore all of a sudden the, the inquisitiveness was, was, was growing within me again and, and the, the questions and, the, and then I become excited to know more because I had incredible knowledge in some aspects, but there was still so much that I did not know. And, and so now I could get excited about everything that I didn't know because especially from a training perspective, oh, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the world is my oyster again because there's so much that I can learn and now I become almost childlike again in my thinking around learning because, you know, going from... Um, a completely ego-identified man who who thought he was the duck's nuts because he'd done all right in some aspects of life, um, to now being an inquisitive, almost kid in a man's body again, going, there's so much I can learn. There's so many people I can learn from. And, and now with the foundation, that's simply all I've got. You know, from doing what I've done for the last 29 years, I've got a, a really cool foundation. You know, a really cool grounding, a really cool uh, beginning to now start from. And I, I think I, I said this to you, Ian, even um, when we were communicating online. You know, now I feel like now I'm at it. I'm ready to begin. You know, I feel like I've spent the last thirty years getting to the beginning, and um, that's pretty exciting. You know, so as far as transition goes, it all comes down to like anything in life it all comes down to the way that you define it you know like you can look at post-career as the ending of something or you can look at it as the beginning of something new you know you can look at it as the fact that now you've got a foundation a solid grounding that you've built that you can take into anything you've got learnings and understandings that that now become applicable to anything the exciting thing is working out the application to life, to a relationship, to winning a medal, to coaching a, an athlete, to like whatever you know. You when you've done anything in life and you you you've done it for you know twenty years. For me, you you've mastered something. You've come to an understanding anyway of of mastering something, and so you know from from that perspective. Now it just turns around and, and becomes some um, application that, that, that changes. You know, that's the only difference. And that's what's actually exciting because when we do a thing for so long, um, it can tend to become mundane. But as soon as you shift the thinking around it, that now I can apply that all of that learning, all of that understanding to, to a whole different area, all of a sudden it becomes exciting again, you know, and this is, this was the biggest thing for me. As soon as I shifted my thinking around the fact that my career wasn't ending, it was beginning because now I've got a good grounding to be able to apply it to something else. 
then there was a little bit of lag time or leeway where I had to work out what that application was. And, you know, the funny thing, I wanted boxing to be the last thing that I was going to focus on. And um, I met an incredible mentor that brought me back to that and just said, mate, boxing's your thing. Why would you, why would you bother building a 30-year foundation and anything to walk away from it? It's That's mm-hmm. absolute lunacy, you know. So, And, uh, and I'll tell you what, Ian, there's not a day. I'm sitting in my office now in my gym and there's not a day that goes by that I'm not incredibly fulfilled because I'm, I'm doing what I, still doing what I love, you know, so that's pretty cool. And and now I'm starting with KSI, so I'm getting to learn more. So that's that's pretty cool too. Well, yeah, you're on a massive journey there, and you've got the foundation for it. You've got the you, you've got the you're looking for what we offer, and you're talking about here opportunity, which is half class uh, half class form mentality, which is exciting, and that's no different working with athletes because the weakness is not a weakness. The weakness is an opportunity. As far as being a student, uh, provided um, you know, I. I been involved in coach education for the entire time of my, my professional career and I can tell a good student pretty quickly and uh, students go through curves like you did through your career of oh, I'm really good I'm the best oh, um, I'm better than everyone else but then coming back down to a point where may, maybe um, there's still a lot to learn and so you have the humility I believe to be a great student which is to your credit David we're going to go to you I know you've been hanging there for a second David you are now live David Hooper yeah g'day how you going guys Hey, so it sounds like you're an Aussie and, and therefore, um, Paul, I have no problems understanding you. <laughs> Indeed. Can I, uh, look, my question, Paul, is um, um, I'm an older gentleman and uh, my professional career is probably well past by now. But what I wanted to know was uh, how boxing training could um, help um, both physically, mentally and in life, I suppose, for... Um, somebody doing boxing training at an older age or even, you know, at a non-professional level? So many people see boxing as a, a brute sport, which is the, the, the face of it, you know. It, it's the, the, the simply the beginning, it's the surface. When you get down to the deeper levels of it, um, and like I was expressing before, with the mind actually driving the body, the, the body cannot move without a thought being in place uh, first and foremost. So uh, for a gentleman of your elk to be able to, and I'm not even sure how old you are, but um, to be able to, let's say, get fitter, um, understand coordination in my experience of working with people now I, I i now know that the older we get the more disconnected we become to our bodies so you know boxing training is is phenomenal in the sense that it recre- it recreates those connections between mind and body where when you're through repetition going through certain movement patterns the first thing that has to happen is is the thinking that creates those movement patterns. So once you master that kind of thinking through repetition again, over and over and over and over and over again, you're getting fitter as you're doing it. Um, there's a whole other aspect dietary-wise that you can focus on as well, which actually gives you a, a lot better uh, endurance and a lot better ability to get more out of your body. But, you know, through creating these patterns, 
you understand that here's an experience that I can now apply to every single aspect of my life as well as, you know, not just being um, a, a boxer or, or a, a normal person in life. Yeah. So I'm, uh, my uh, age is I'm in my early 50s. Um, so what would you recommend then? How often should I be training? And, you know, if I was to do boxing training, how often should I be doing it? For a general, what I would call a general punter, <laughs> I think that you've got to be active every single day. You know, as we get older, the more active that we are, um, there's an old saying, you don't use it, you lose it. You know, the, the, the more active that you become, you're, you're building integrity within the, the, the muscle, you're building integrity within the joints, you're building integrity within the bones. So, you know, um, the more active that you can be, the better. So the, the more often that you can train, the better. With that, with that understanding and what I was expressing earlier that, that you know, I'm, I'm explaining to one of my fighters at the moment prepping for a fight, recovery is part of training. Stretching is part of training. So as much as you put out, you also have to give back. So, you know, for me, it's, a, it's the balance between, you know, if you could find a regime three to five days a week, you know, for a gentleman like yourself who's not necessarily an elite athlete, um, you know, if you could train three to five days a week and also be able to balance that with, you know, two to three days of, of um, stretching and, and um, you know, basically giving back to your body as well, then that's what's going to be of most benefit to you. Awesome. So do you train um, like just normal lay day people in the gym? Of course. Yep. Definitely. Okay. Mm. Good stuff. All right. Thanks for that, guys. That's awesome. Appreciate David. Appreciate you being on the call. Um, do I get a feeling that you you live on the Gold Coast? No, I live in Brisbane, actually. Uh, it's not that big a drive. Uh, there you go. <laughs> thanks, guys. You're welcome. Uh, you know, boxing's gone through a bit of a bit of a renaissance. I I see. I mean, all fighting sports are on up. Um, in terms of popularity, you see gyms popping around the suburbs, uh, whereas you go back even like 20 years ago, very few, very few places you could do some boxing training. So it's a growth industry. So we have a great question also here from Dave. I'm just going to take you off mute. If you want to come back on, you just um, put your hand up. I've got a question on Ronald Robinson. Ronald, good man out of now we met in virginia i'm I don't, i'm not saying you're coming from virginia ronald you want to correct me on that i am calling from virginia good afternoon or good evening ian thank you for taking my, my question oh thank you for being here ronald you're a great man as i said enjoyed our time together recently in, in virginia and paul is all yours paul uh thanks again uh paul for taking the time to do this um you brought up a, a very interesting point when you talked about sustainability having trained competed and even lived um, at such an extreme and elite level as an athlete and now with your life being different which components of your life when you were working living as an elite athlete are sustainable now that you have transitioned into coaching and more personal fitness than it is to compete so that that's a great question Ronald. um the biggest thing for me now but look what I came to understand fairly quickly post my career is that I need something to sustain the discipline in my life, otherwise the wheels are going to fall off. Otherwise, mm. 
I'm not going to be able to stick to anything. And because I've been so regimented, mm-hmm. uh, more of the time that I've been alive than, than not, um, if I don't, do not have that discipline there, then, then everything is just going to fall by the wayside. And I've got a set regime seven days a week where I'm up at 4 a.m. And between 4 and 5 a.m. is when I'm giving to myself. And that's when I'm doing my stretching. It's when I'm doing my shadow boxing. It's when I'm the amount of people that I work with within boxing, there's lots of different ideas that I can play with you know, within shadow boxing that I, you know, it'll just trigger different understandings in my mind when I'm, I've got this beautiful place right next to my apartment and it's surrounded by water and, and it's this little bridge that walks over to this, like this little island type thing. And it's sort of, you know, in the woods. Um, and I, you know, I wake up in the morning and I, I make my tea and I, I walk over to this little island barefoot and I really connect with the earth to start off with. And, and, and I work through the different shadow boxing ideas that I'm doing and, and it, it, with the different uh, athletes and, and um, clients that I'm working with. And different things will just go pop in my mind, you know, the different things will open up. And I do this, like I said, religiously. I'll be doing this 4 a.m. Christmas morning. You know, I, I do this 365 days a week without fail. And that's basically how I keep the the the, um, the balance in my life now post my career. I just, um, I love being disciplined. I love it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Paul. I, I totally understand what you're saying. Thanks for the question, Ron. Appreciate Ronald. So now we've had three three countries represented in our discussions, and we have a second round from uh, Victor. So I'm just going back to Victor. Victor, uh, you can come off mute yourself. Hi. Yes. Paul. So two questions for you. Uh, let's start with the first one, which is um, earlier on you mentioned that there are some things that um, you find that's absolutely wrong but necessary to develop like uh, willpower uh, in training and. Uh, and those mental endurance, uh, what would some of those activities be and how would you change it for the better now? So the reason why most boxers run, which is a really interesting concept and not one that I've ever understood and one that I, you know, when I was, uh, when I was boxing, I was running some days up to 14Ks you know, and when at the end of the week, I'm, I'm, you're running nearly 100 kilometers and your body's breaking down and then you've got to go into the gym and train in, in the afternoon. None of it made sense to me. I, I, it just, it, it was old school, you know, yet the only thing that did make sense to me was the fact that I had time in my mind to develop the thought processes that were going to create that solid understanding of what it was that I was going to do when I actually got in front of my opponent, if that makes sense. Um, Also, just feeling the pounding of the hard road, it it just creates this hardness within within, uh, your thinking. And it's completely wrong for the body because you know my I, I i could feel my i was working with with body workers with my therapists with all these different types of guys and 
And they're saying, mate, your body's breaking down. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I've got to do it, you know. And um, and then that was supported by my trainers that were going, yeah, you've got to train harder. All of it was insanity, absolute insanity. Yet, by the same token, it created a mindset within myself. And this is where, this is what I'm really exploring now. It created the mindset within myself around my ability to endure. Now, what I believe, what I know now, actually, forget that word, what I know now is that these ideas were built in me at the youngest age. It had nothing to do with the training. The training just created a reinforcement of what I knew from a really, really young age. And what I knew at a really, really young age was what I was exposed to. What I knew was what I had experienced around watching my father train, around watching the gentleman who trained with my father train, uh, observing and then coming to my, my own conclusions around how and why they were doing what they were doing. And I'm talking pre-teen i mean this is this is crazy to come to these sort of sorts of conclusions or maybe not so you know maybe all of us come to these sorts of conclusions that the youngest of age and then completely discount them because yeah it's not backed up by science or it's not backed up by a book or it's not backed up and validated by somebody else That's very insightful, and I really like how you look inwards and see, uh, look into your past uh, childhood experiences. Because I, I do agree with you that I think a lot of people we dis we discount that a lot of what happens in our childhood. So thank you. That that was really awesome. And the second question is, uh, I've got a buddy of mine who actually just um, he did his uh, ACL surgery, and it's already been about like eight nine months and uh, he just got back to training recently and it was a little bit heavier and he's just feeling like he's not feeling so good so he's asking um, like what would your recommendations um, to, to ease him back into training what's the best way to go about that uh, is this a question you're asking me yes that's right I'd like to hear I, your thoughts well He's done his ACL and it's, it's, they've technically repaired it, yes, in surgery? <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, the great look, what, what I, all I can speak of is the, the way I do what I do, you know, with my um, boxers and my athletes. When, when, I've got a, when I've got a boxer coming back from injury, it's really all about flexibility. It's really all about um, becoming uh, flexible and agile within within their body. The more relaxed an athlete can become, the more benefit they are going to be to themselves, if that makes sense. So I, I think you know through through incredible stretching protocols that, that that's the biggest thing you know for me for for anyone who's coming back from anything. The more flexible you can become, the, the stronger you're going to become. So um, as far as specific training to be able to, to fix an ACL, I think there's better people that can answer that question for you than me. But um, as far as coming back from injury, the greatest thing that I could uh, advise anyone to do is, is just really work on becoming um, supple 
and, and agile and flexible. Thank you. So, Vic, I'll just come over the top of that in, in relation to what, what, what you'll find is that when an athlete has had a break and they come back to training and, and they, they find their uh, work capacity is lower in general and they feel fatigued faster, they feel more fatigued, um, they're not recovering as quickly, et cetera, et cetera, they, they're probably not appreciating how long it took them to build the conditioning mm -hmm. that they had. Uh, and so when you lose the conditioning, that you've built over many years, you'll get it back, but it, it'll take a bit longer than many people hope. Many people hope that they'll get back in training and be able to tolerate the same workload straight away. Uh, it, it, it'll take a bit longer, and it's age-dependent, of course. So it's, that, it's, it's, it's the, the emotional management of, uh, of frustration when, when, when your work capacity is not what it was or you, you're more fatigued when you thought, you know, three months ago, six months ago, nine months ago, or 12 months ago, I was able to do this, and I'm not able to recover from that now. There's it's a little bit of patience involved um, and same, same old, same old. Don't, don't, don't push your fatigue curve down too far. Otherwise, it takes too long to recover. But that, that's just a, that's just an emotional management um, reality of, of coming back from an injury. Um, you know, I think Paul's probably. I'm taking a guess. Paul hasn't had surgery, which is great. Um, you know, great for many reasons. And that, the modern, the modern day athlete couldn't say that because the modern day athlete is exposed to American physical preparation, and therefore they're all going to get surgery. But that's another discussion. Okay, so we've had some fantastic uh, questions. Uh, the, the floor is still for questions, but I don't want to take up all of Paul's day, so I'm going to go back to Paul. Paul, any question, any comment you want to you want to wrap on? Anything you want to talk about to, to wrap? Um, I, what can I say? Um, look, I'm just really, really excited to be at this point in my career. I'm really excited to be working with incredible people like yourself, Ian. And um, and being exposed um, to you know some some awesome uh, coaches that I will be exposed to just through my experience of Ty Anderson, my physical preparation coach here at Sankton Forge. Um, you know, it, I understand his uh, level of of experience, um, and yeah, it'd just be mind blowing to to meet some of these coaches that are like you know level five, level six type sort of coaches, and just um, yeah, I'm I'm excited about all of it, every single aspect of it, and I'm really excited about um, being uh, what I want to become, and that is a beacon of change within the fight industry because you know I'm I'm not shy and I'm not afraid to cop whatever, you know, people want to throw with regards to, you know, changing the paradigms and, and that's really what I'm passionate about now because I know for a fact that they're doing it all wrong or we are doing it all wrong. So, therefore, you know, we, it needs to change for Australia to get better. We've got some incredible fighters in this country. We have unbelievable talent, I think, in every area. Considering our, our um, how small our country is, the, uh, the amount of athletes that, that can not just compete but hold their own at the elite level around the world is phenomenal. And yet I think, especially from a fighter's perspective, we get up there, we campaign, we hang with them, but we don't win. And I think the reason why we don't is because we're doing what everyone else is doing, and I think that really needs to change. I think we could become industry leaders within the fight game around how uh, preparing physically for a fight uh, is done and and yeah so that's what i'm excited about and i'm just really thankful for having the opportunity to be on the call 
Well, we are the ones that are blessed, and I'll just um, finish up with a few comments. So it's, it's great for me to, well, I enjoy every sport, but um, one of my early exposures to, to elite boxing was at Festival Hall. And again, I'm not sure whether you even remember boxing at Festival Hall under the Wren family, but I'm going yeah. back a bit. Um, yeah. You know, back in the, the days when Ronnie Wanless was fighting pro fights, and you know, I mean, I think it was before you were probably making sense. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I had the opportunity to to um, to work in the Commonwealth Games uh, at boxing and boxing at the Commonwealth Games in Brisbane in 1982, um, and I chose boxing as my sport to be involved in. And uh, you know, from then on, I've really really appreciated the, the time I get to spend in boxing and with boxers. Um, so it's been quite a few decades. But uh, Paul, I've watched your career since. You're a puppy. Um, it's been a great journey for you. You've done some great things, and probably the, the most exciting thing is that you you're going to be an asset moving forwards for the fighting industry um, with the mindset that you've you've come to, and your your decisions about how you're going to use that experience moving forwards. And more selfishly, um, we're hoping you continue to hang in there with KSI and because you are going to be an asset in our program and you're going to get so much from your interaction with coaches. The the thing you'll learn is the, the depth that I, I like to operate at. Um, you don't really know what's there. I, 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 in fact, I get, a, I get a fair bit of flack in America in, in my, the way I teach because I, I don't tell too much in, and, and I, I prefer to see where people, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Um, so I really only tell people uh, what I think they're ready for or what they ask questions about, which is frustrating because Americans just want black and white, keep it simple and move on. Um, but yeah, you're going to enjoy the journey. Uh, there's a the journey towards mastery that we've developed and the opportunity to develop mastery within athlete preparation within KSI. Uh, if that's something that excites you, then you're in for some exciting times. So we've taken up a lot of Paul's time. Uh, we've also had a great turnout from people from many different countries. Uh, um, this is not the last time we'll be chatting with Paul. This is just the beginning. Um, I'm hoping Paul will ultimately get to join us at our annual get-together for our coaches globally in Park City uh, in Utah. Uh, we have coaches and athletes come together, uh, arguably the best opportunity to learn as a coach or physical preparation coach, or as an athlete for that matter, uh, in the world. So that's, that's a moment Paul's really going to be able to even further contribute to our program just by his presence. Mm. So, Paul, in conclusion, today's chat, fantastic chat. This call will be up on our podcast within a week at least. Um, great, great artifact, uh, great career, and Really looking forward to watching you develop in this stage and the next stage of your career and your contribution. I know, Aaron, apart from everybody, Paul, I just want to say thanks. Oh, I just, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure being here and um, I've, I've, um, it's been really stimulating and I've actually learned uh, uh, quite a bit. So it's been um, it's been awesome and, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future also. It's going to be great. Great stuff. We appreciate it, Paul, and we will be chatting very soon, no doubt. Thanks, everyone, for being on the call and uh, share, spread the message, when, especially when this link goes up. Um, get the message out, send, send the URL to your friends, etc. and uh, look forward to chatting again with Paul in the near future. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk. Cheers.